Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene. You can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Returning champion, Michael, now on the show. The returning champion, two episodes in a row. Good to have you, man. I know you've been at development camp. I know you've got a lot of stuff on the draft and the prospects and a lot of RFAs and UFAs and uh, a lot of the stuff you've been out there. You're going to be at the Future Stars game, so a lot of good stuff coming. Really good piece about uh, Askarov or Askarov, uh, the goaltending prospect from Russia that we all are obsessed with, of course, uh, in the Nashville Post, so make sure you go check that out. Got a lot of other good stuff up there, so a lot of good stuff in the post and the scene from you covering the Preds this week as development camp is going on. Free agency is opening, and by the time you're hearing this, there could be some new news that we didn't have at the time of taping. We're taping this on Wednesday uh, around lunch. So uh, we hope that <laughs> nothing huge happens. Uh, but if but we'll kind of take a look at some of the free agents that the Predators could be targeting, uh, obviously, with some of the extra money they still have on the salary cap. Of course, we will begin with celebrating the return of Philip Forsberg to a Nashville Predators sweater. So we'll do all of that today on the show. What does it mean for this team moving forward? However, Mike. The gold standard is, in fact, brought to you by the wonderful people at Jaspers. Look at that. You're a natural. <laughs> I, 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 I just I appreciate I appreciate your abilities so much, Michael. Just, it's, in, it's ingrained in my brain. <laughs> I, I can't help it. You have one word. You don't have to. All you have to do is not screw up the one word. It is Jaspers. Uh, and it, of course, over is over on West End. The parking is free. The game room is spectacular. There's an air hockey table in there. There's a ski ball, the Papa shot. There's all kinds of great stuff in there. It is literally the five-tool player of sports bars. You could go with a significant other for a nice meal. You could take the kids for a raucous time. You can go with the guys to go watch a, a game and play in the game room and drink some beer and as, as a happy hour. You can go for a business lunch, and never will you ever pay for parking, Michael, ever. You'll never pay for parking. Which is a rarity in Nashville. <laughs> it is. Uh, so we really appreciate and, 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 and love the support of the wonderful folks at Four Top Hospitality and Jasper. So if you're listening to this, please go check out the location over there on West End. It is a great place to watch any sporting event and just grab a beer, uh, a beer, a beer or a meal. And I've talked to, I've been doing a lot of talking this week, uh, Michael. <laughs> the words are starting to run together in my head. Um, I feel you. <laughs> so go go check that out, of course, and, and order the Gold Standard Cocktail, which is named after this year' podcast. So, um, all right, I guess let's just start with with the news. It was Philip Forsberg's bachelor party. We, we sort of saw this coming from a mile away. It was like a slow-moving train wreck that was just continuing to kind of drip and drip and drip. And then, sure enough, uh, the bachelor party needed some more funding and uh, $8.5 million, $8 million per year for eight years for Philip Forsberg got done uh, over the weekend and uh, $68 million total. He does not go to free agency where he could have only gotten seven years. So he does get a larger total contract. I think if I would have told you, Michael, that it would be 8.5 AAV way back before the trade deadline, way back before the season started. I think almost every single Nashville Predators fan would have said absolutely. And then saw him score 40 goals. Yeah. So I don't know what your first reaction was, but I think I think most everybody just exhaled and said, all right, good. Thank you. We're a contender still. Yeah, my first reaction was, thank God this nightmare is over. I am tired <laughs> of having to talk about will Philip Forsberg resign? Will he go somewhere else? What team could he possibly be playing for? How much money? Like this thing has been a slow burn for the last year. And, and we all saw it coming. 
we all kind of knew this is what was going to happen. I think when back at, at this time last year, when training camp was starting, I think Robbie Stanley asked Philip Forsberg about the contract. And he said, you know, I, I'm going to worry about that at the end of the year. I'm just going to play this year out. I think that kind of set the stage for the slowest, like just <laughs> beat you over the head year Predators fans possibly could have, have like signed up for. And looking at it, I think this is about where, where I expected him to be. I said on, on it's all your fault, our, our podcast on the scene. I said at the end of the year, I said is because that's when reports were saying that Forsberg was asking for like 9 million a year. I said, is he a $9 million a year player? No, I said, he's, he's around an eight and a half million dollar a year player. And that's, that's fair market value for him. That's without the predators overpaying for him. And if he comes back, that's where I expected him to be. Sure enough, that that's, that's where he ended up. And I think, I want to say I was I was on the fence about whether he was going to come back or not until Frank Saravalli's report came out that he asked for less than nine million a year. Once I heard that, that cemented in my mind he's coming back because if he if he wasn't asking for more money than Roman Yossi, that made no sense for him to leave and and test free agency because the, you look at the contract they signed him to it's sixty eight million dollars total over eight years. For another team to match that on the open market with only being able to offer seven years, he was looking at, they were looking at offering him $9.71 million a year. There's no way Philip Forsberg is close to a $10 million a year player with the production that he has had over his career. Right. So, and the and the injury concerns and everything. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you look at that and you're like, the only teams that are crazy enough to offer him that kind of deal are bad teams with a lot of cap space, like the Buffalo Sabres. Is, is Buffalo going to go offer him $10 million a year? They could. Is Philip Forsberg going to sign there just, just for $10 million a year? Probably not, because Buffalo is a tire fire. So I, I looked at the 8.5 and the AAV there, because obviously it's like a $10 million hit, I want to say, this year, but like it changes. Like that's all, it, it's annual salary that sort of matters yeah, he here. Gets, I think he gets $40 million basically over the first four years, and then it's it's front-loaded. And in the last couple of years, it, it's it's more conducive to allowing the Predators, giving them more flexibility. And, and we'll get to the no movement clause, because now that the Preds have like quadrupled the number of players on their team with, with no movement clauses just in like the last week and a half, but 8.5, I, I, I am 8.5 is 37th in the NHL. That is not, he's not even a top 35 highest paid player with that contract. Now, there's some really good players in that range. Blake Wheeler's at like 8.2, Sebastian Ajo's at like 8.5, Steven Stamkos is at 8.5, Crosby is at 8.7, Petrangelo is at 8.8. But again, that's not, that's barely a top 40 contract in the NHL. And for the all-time leading scorer at his age to still be the, the, the focal point of the offense moving forward as, as they decided not to trade him and as David Poyle, stubbornly or otherwise, is not going to tear down the team and rebuild, he wants to stay competitive, it became clear that they had to resign him. And I think to get him at 8.5, I think, is a credit to, to the front office. Uh, I think the fans are ecstatic about it, at least for the first few years, <laughs> as long as he's... Yeah. As long as he's healthy and on the ice and producing 35-ish goal seasons, I think fans are going to be excited with the contract. There are some big contracts that are coming off the books in the next two or three years um, with, with Duchesne and, and Johansson. We can talk about what that means for the future of the club, but there should be plenty of space in the salary cap, even if it's flat for a couple of years and then starts to go up after that there should be plenty of space to continue to build a winning team. So uh, I, I have no real complaints about this. Uh, other than the stress it caused me personally, Michael. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. And 
And that and it's all anyone ever wanted to talk about. You see, you know, know. readers and fans, they're like, so is Forsberg re-signed? And like, I, I had people like some of my friends that are that are in my church group they're like hey what's the deal with forsberg and i'm like i i wish i had inside information to give you guys i, I really don't it, they're they're playing it close to the vest and this is one of those things where F- forsberg had all the leverage up until he signed yeah. the deal this is one of the very few times where david Poyle had had no real chips to to push to the middle of the table here this was all philip forsberg in the driver's seat and and, and credit to him he even said when he re-signed and he had his press conference there was never any, he didn't go to David Poyle and he, and he wasn't like, Hey, I have all these other offers. Like you better come at me with your best offer. It, it was, he wanted to be here. And this was where he, he was, he was negotiating in good faith and even said that this was, I think his, his fiance is from Georgia. Um, they, they're, they're building their family here and this is where they want to be. And he said, Nashville's home. And he even also mentioned too, he threw in there, he likes kind of the upper trajectory of the team. I think making the playoffs last year in a team that most people thought was going to be like a quote-unquote rebuilding year I think that showed Forsberg that the young players they have they can win with them bring in some players we'll see how Ryan McDonough will be depending on if they get a top six forward today or tomorrow or any point in free agency this is a team that can contend and can compete I don't know if they're a Stanley Cup contender but they can at least be competitive in the playoffs which I think right now is just David Poyle's what he wants to do right now is be competitive in the playoffs yeah, and I think assuming everything continues to evolve, they go get another piece, let's say, maybe two. I don't think, and we will get to, we can have this discussion because I don't think they, I know you wrote about this. I don't think they need to go get a second piece for like the fourth line. I, I trust the Admirals, Carl Taylor, the development staff, some of those younger pieces and, and John Hines to find a piece that fits on that line. They've done a good job of developing those types of players in the last 18 months, two years. It's the top six winger that I think that they need to go get, and we'll discuss some of those names. But if they go do that with Forsberg back, if Duchesne and Johansson can just, even if they come back to the pack a little bit, but they maintain next year, and you add McDonough to the defense, it is a better hockey team. And they're already were a playoff team. Could they challenge for second or third place in the division? I think that is totally reasonable. And I think that fans can be excited about where the team is going. I, you know, I'm with you. I don't think they're a cup contender. But Colorado's not going to look like Colorado next year. I mean, they're yeah. still going to be great, but they're not going to look the same. I mean, they spent what was it, forty nine million on bringing Val Nachushkin back. He was he was kind of the top of my wish list for the Predators. If they're going to go out and get a top six forward to to slot in next to Ryan Johansson and Philip Tomasino, that was the guy who I ha- who I was eyeballing. I, I feel like he would have been a great fit. But Colorado, you know, being as savvy as they are, they re-signed him. They let Andre Burakovsky hit free agency. There's a couple other guys. They, they just re-signed, I think, Josh Manson this morning for four and a half million. They, Colorado, Nazem Kadri is going to be a free agent. They have too many good players and yeah. not enough cap space to bring back. It, it's, so I think, Tampa's in the same situation. So Yeah, which is why Ryan McDonough is now on the Predators. Right. They're, they're these good teams that have good players. And that and that's that's ideally that's what you want. You want to be a team that's so good that you have so many good players that you just can't afford to, to bring them all back because that that shows you're doing something right. You're building your team the right way. And I think with with free agency, and I, I wrote about this and we could talk about it a little bit. David Poyle he basically has two holes to fill on the second line and on the fourth line. And there's a couple ways that he can attack it. Hold off on that because I do want to talk about that, um, and and I I want to get into where you think they should go and how how they should do it. But I want to ask about the no movement stuff because now you've got Roman Yossi signed with the no movement clause. Philip Forsberg has a complete no movement clause for the first six years of this deal, which would take him up to age thirty three. 
he is there's no there there's a 15 team no trade list for the last two seasons of the contract ryan mcdonough also has i think what three years yeah. of, of like a partial no movement and then one year where he's altogether no movement so i like is this just david Poyle up against a wall saying i've got to try to build a winner and the last thing i have in my pocket to play is this this no movement thing that again before this it was pecorine and that was it yeah. <laughs> that really ever got this now you've given it to yossi now you've given it to forsberg now you've got mcdonough it, it feels like th- this is now going to have to be par for the course for david Poyle. or w- what do you make of the no movement part of all of this I don't think it's going to be a trend for David Poyle. There's a reason. Well, there's two reasons why he hasn't given out no trade, no movement clause. One, because the Predators up until Pecorine and Roman Yossi and Philip Forsberg haven't had good enough players that can demand those kind of clauses and be given them. Everybody wants a no movement clause when they sign a new contract. You're just not going to get it unless you're a Connor McDavid or a Philip Forsberg or, or a truly elite player. But also David Poyle and he has this reputation across the league. David Poyle does not like to leave a negotiation or leave a trade feeling like someone got the better of him. He has that reputation of he likes to be the one that fleeces other GMs. He likes to be the one that can walk in and leave and get what he wants. And Roman Yossi and Pecorine were, when they signed their extensions, considered largely the best players at their position. So they had that that leverage of, I want a no movement clause, and this is why. Right. Philip Forsberg, I think kind of back David Poyle into to the corner here with this. And I think once, once David Poyle traded Victor Arvidsson, I think he knew that as mad as Philip Forsberg was then that he was going to have to give him a no movement clause. And I think he, he was okay with that at that point, because yeah. if you're Philip Forsberg, you watch your, your best friend get traded four years into his extension. You watch Ryan Ellis, who was, who was loved in the locker and watch him get traded two years into his extension and especially with Ryan Ellis, because he took he took a hometown discount to, to, to resign so the Predators could add more pieces to the team. I think Philip Forsberg watching that was like, I'm I'm not going to get screwed over the situation like those two did. And, and David Poyle kind of backed himself into a corner with this. And it's it's one of those things where, like, it, it looks bad going from being only giving out one or two no movement clauses to now you have like four or five guys on your roster with at least a full or a partial no move. And I think Poyle's probably going to get asked for those more often, but I just I just can't see him caving and giving those to just anyone. There's a reason why he's only he's only signed four players and given them to him, and he acquired McDonough with one. And we could talk about that in a little bit too. But I was, was going to say we, fell in his lap. So we we can bring McDonough up because apparently the agent initiated the conversation, and I don't think yeah. we can. Over, we talked about it last week how much of a message it was sending to Philip Forsberg about their commitment to winning, and I think that's exactly what we're talking about here is. You said it, the, the upward trajectory of the team. Again, how far up the mountain, how how high the upside is, we can debate that. But the idea was, again, McDonough clearly had control of the situation. The Lightning knew what was going on. They had had conversations. And he goes, he looks around and goes, where where can I go fit? And where where would be a good fit for me? Where would I like to play? Where's a team that's getting better? Oh, by the way, it didn't cost Nashville really much of anything. And it helps re-sign Philip Forsberg. I mean, that that move is starting to look, again, not as much like David Poyle went out and did it like some shrewd thing, but like it was presented to him on a silver platter and the, the team is better off today because of it. Yeah, that's the thing too. And I think I think I remember Poyle saying the, the P.K. Subban, Shea Weber trade kind of happened like that too, where it, he was talking to Montreal's GM during the draft and just randomly 
I think it was brought up like, hey, if PK Subin's available, would you be interested? What, what would you give? And then Shea Weber trade happened and all that. David Poyle, it, I feel like in, in situations like this, he knew he had to upgrade the, the defense. I don't know what other moves he was planning. But if you're if you're sitting there and Ryan McDonough's agent calls you and says, hey, Tampa's looking to move me. Would you be interested in acquiring me? You're, you'd be brain dead not to absolutely listen to that phone call. And like, yeah, he has a no movement clause for the last four years of his contract. But if you're David Poyle, you, you make the trade and you figure all that out later. And essentially that's what he's doing. And, and I think the thing about this is too, so I had a lot of you know readers from the post ask, um, he has four years of a no movement clause left. He waived it to come to Nashville. He didn't waive it for the entirety of the contract. He waived it for right. just this year. Right. So when a player does that, he waived it for this season, meaning that he got traded from Tampa to Nashville, but the remaining three years, he still has that no move protection in there. So if he yeah. were to get moved two years from now, David Boyle would have to go and do the same thing that uh, Tampa Bay's GM did and ask him, Hey, if we trade you, would you mind waving this and stuff like that? Right. It's, it's, it's not, it's not completely 1000% locked, you know, lock, stock and barrel. It's just unlikely that you're going to move one of these guys without them at least having yeah. to agree on and it. There's I, ways around this stuff too. Like sure. if David Poyle absolutely cannot afford to pay Ryan McDonough in two years, like there, there will be a way to, to get him off the roster that they'll probably try to accommodate him and stuff. But he, and that's the thing too. Like you look at, I think Minnesota had a couple players with, with Suter and Parise and there was maybe one or two more. You, you never want to have, it's a good rule of thumb never to have more than like multiple players with no movement clauses because then you're handicapped you're handicapping your team with like, okay, like with the expansion draft, there were so many GMs that had players with no movement clauses that they had to protect those players when it would have probably been beneficial to let them be exposed, right. and maybe lose them. So you, you never want to back yourself into that kind of a corner. We'll get into the draft, the development camp. Um, we'll get into some of the prospects and, and some of those other things here coming up in just a few minutes, but uh, $9.6 million left. And you said it, you presented a couple of options in your story on the Nashville Post, Nashville Scene, of course. Uh, it's all your fault podcast as well with you and Megan. Make sure you go check all that great stuff out um, from you guys. Uh, swing by Jaspers as well. Make sure you go to Jaspers on West End. Um, 9.6 left. And again, we're taping this right at the beginning of, of free agency. To me, I want to talk strategy with you because you kind of laid out the options in your story. And I think the strategy is what matters. Next week, we'll probably have a, a player to talk about, whether it's the right move or the wrong move. I don't want to get into necessarily like, you know, Niederreiter versus Palat versus Burakovsky. Like I, we can debate all of that stuff maybe next week as to what they should have done. And we can look at the numbers then and we'll have hindsight at that point. Um, no pun intended. But to me, it's the strategy here. I trust this organization to give me a fourth line winger. I just trust it. Whether that's Afanasiev, uh, another young player, Huntington, like whoever. I, I trust them to develop that piece. I would like to see them go five, six million dollars on a top six winger that is going to make this team a better competitor right away. David Poyle, I believe on 1025, the game said he, he, he's got to be concerned about signing something long term because the, the salary cap could be flat and he's got other pieces he has to be worried about. Carrier, Fabro, a few other guys he's got to resign over the course of the next few years. We'll talk about Fabro in a second because I think you and I are on the same page that Fabro may not be long for the organization potentially. Um, so I, I think what, what's the strategy here for the predators with this almost $10 million I've laid out my perspective. Where do you fall? Yeah, there's, and I wrote this in my story. I, I, there's, there's two ways he can go about doing this. He has the, the $9.61 million, um, 
in cap space. And I, I put in my story, they're, they're the two big holes to fill are the second line forward and the fourth line forward. And I, I felt like the, the two ways that he could go about doing this is to spend most or go all in with, with his, his cap space on a t- legit top six winger, Andre Burakovsky, for example. Or he can bargain and he can bargain hunt for a fourth liner, or he can promote someone from Milwaukee because they're all on entry level contracts. Or he can do what David Poyle typically does: take the nine point six million, divide it up, go after two players of, of kind of <laughs> equal skill set, and pay them an equal amount of money. So, kind of looking at like basically, you're looking at maybe signing Andre Burakovsky to like a six and a half. Six to six and a half million dollar contract, and then promoting Igor Afanasi up to the fourth line, or you're looking at going out and getting Dylan Strom and Max Domi and paying them each four and a half to five million dollars a year. Now, now Afanasiev was, to be clear, Afanasiev was one of the final cuts last year. Yes, and and didn't come up at all. But he's a guy that we don't think is long for Milwaukee. Yeah, and he and at development camp, he just looks like he's not he's not he's not an NHL player anymore. He looks like an NHL yeah. player. Six, six, three, two, whatever. We'll, we'll get to yeah. development camp because I, I know you had a chance to watch a lot of hockey and there's a lot of probably more excitement about some of the farm system pieces than maybe we expected, at least at the, yeah. at the forward position. But um, to your point, Afanasiev, he, he's a big power forward. He's he's kind of, he, he. I think the hope is that he can turn into what they thought they were getting when they traded for James Neal, is that power forward that can give yeah. you 30 goals, be a big body, get in the way, piss people off and kind of go out there and and be essentially the the robin to philip forsberg's batman so so what is your again i don't see the value of spending three or four million dollars on a fourth line winger honestly like i i yeah. see like go big and then save some money for whatever move you might want to make whether it's some because rest- again they've got a lot of guys here i think they they announced uh on tuesday i believe they resigned jimmy huntington um i don't know where the yakov trenin deal sits but like there's they, you know, Dave, Jeremy Davies, David Ference, and Matt Luff are not coming back. Yeah, uh, it doesn't look like Nick Cousins, Rocco Grimaldi, um, you know, all those guys. Matt Benning, they're not coming back. They went and got John Leonard in the trade. So, like, there's a lot of moving pieces at the bottom of this roster that we don't know, like, exactly where it's all going to shake out. Yeah, and, and I'm, I think I'm kind of in the same mindset you are. If you're going to get a top six winger, get a legit top six winger, and that would be someone like Andre Burakovsky and maybe a couple other players. I think. Because there, there's there's also solid fourth liners like I mentioned this in my story like Brendan Lemieux if you if you kind of followed him and what he did with the Kings he's he's that the gritty fourth liner that can go out there and be physical I think his his career high is like 18 points in a season he's not going to score but you have him out there because he he had nine fighting majors 97 penalty minutes someone like that he can be had on a million to million and a half year million to a million and a half per year contract. I think you gotta, you gotta. If you're looking at a top six forward, you, you're probably you gotta spend close to six million a year on them. That's just the reality of it. I would take, I would take Nita Ryder at, at five and a half, six million dollars a year. I would take Pilat yeah. at maybe six and a half. I would do that. The key is going to be how does Poyle work the salary cap magic, not just for this year and maybe next year, but for the years after. I think that's yeah. going to be the key. Is 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 anyone willing to do a a prove it two year, three year deal? I, I don't know. These guys don't like doing Probably that normally not, yeah and I and I think with Burakovsky who's kind of the, the crown jewel of the free agent class other than Johnny Gaudreau these guys are going to want five six seven year deals and David Poyle said he's got I think it's Fabro and Carrier and Janot and Trenton next year that are coming up that are going to be due raises he can't he can't think long term he's looking one or two year deals and I think that that kind of that kind of affects his strategy and how he approaches free agency too so let's say he goes and gets somebody and there's an odd man out it sounds like we both agree that it's Dante Fabro 
Yeah. And I mean, you look at it too. One, I think he's like 23. He's still really, really young. He's his cap hit is like two and a half million a year. So if you, if you trade him, you're, you're clearing two and a half million in cap space, which is a good thing. You, you don't have to worry about who are you going to replace him with? Because if, if say he's gone, you're looking at probably a third pairing of Jeremy Lausanne and, and Mark Rovietsky. That That's, that's pretty good in my opinion. Yeah, I no, think. he's not right now. Fabro, in my opinion, is not a top four defenseman for this team. Yeah, and and that and that's what they had envisioned for him when they drafted him, and he for whatever reason hasn't reached that potential. Now that's not to say he can, he won't go out this year, and finally it all clicks for him, and he turns into a really good defenseman this year. But yep. he still is young enough to have decent trade value, or he could be a, he could be a piece to another deal, like throwing something crazy out there. David Poyle say he wants Patrick Laine. He goes to Columbus and he offers. He's not going to offer sheet him because it's going to cost some draft picks, but he could go to Columbus and be like, we want Patrick line. A we'll give you a first round pick next year, Dante Fabro, and then a, a B level prospect. And if Columbus doesn't think they can resign Patrick line, that might be enticing to them because Fabro's 23. He yeah. could be a, a yeah. possible, you know, future top four defenseman for him. And that that's a deal that could happen because they have the flexibility to trade someone like Dante Fabro. And they brought back what Cole Smith, Tommy Novak, Jimmy Huntington, John Leonard, Devin Cooley, and Trennan, right? Those are the ones that they've all got back. Yeah. And um, all those guys, except for Trennan, are their Milwaukee guys. So, right. right. And, and the 9.6 million is a little bit deceptive, too. I feel like Trennan is probably going to go to arbitration. And you're looking at probably re signing him at around, I would say his cap is probably going to be a million and a half to two million. So, looking at all, all things considered with that, you, he, David Poyle might have seven, seven and a half million in cap space. Okay. Uh, or like you said, trade Fabro and maybe goes right back to nine and a half. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There, the point is there's options. And I think that's yep. what David Poyle wanted heading into free agency. Well, and we'll have a better sense of like specific names and, and dollar figures next week on the show. And, and uh, actually, I take that back. I apologize. Uh, the following week on the show, we're going to be off next week uh, as I'm in Atlanta for SEC Media Day. So um, we'll take a break, let the free agent dust settle. And then we'll come back. Um, go to Jaspers. We're going to get to the development camp, the draft, um, your story about their goaltending prospect, what you saw at camp. But obviously, want to remind everybody, make sure you go to Jaspers, of course, because the gold standard is brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks over at Jaspers. Free parking, great food. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the It's All Your Fault podcast as well with you, Michael Gallagher, and Megan, yes. uh, as well as uh, you're reading the scene in the post every single day. We do appreciate all your support across all of these different things that we ask you guys to do, share the show, all that great stuff as well. All right, we'll, we'll get to the draft in just a second, or I guess we could talk draft first before we get to development camp because this young player was a part of the development camp, right? So the Predators yeah. are picking 17th in the draft last week. They take Joachim Kemmel, a forward from Finland with the 17th pick. They said they claim that they had a top 13, that if they got one of their top 13 players that fell to them at 17, they were going to make the draft pick. Otherwise, they were going to trade back, try to add some capital. Uh, they had Kemmel at number seven, according to their reports, number seven on their board. A lot of people around the hockey world are saying this was a value pick for them at 17. Obviously, the Arvidsson comparisons because he's very small, very fast and has a really good shot. So that's kind of where that that's Anybody coming. Anybody under like five eight is always going to be compared to Victor Arvidsson, regardless yeah. of who they are. <laughs> if you're if you're under five ten, you will get an Arvidsson comp, and, and if you're a Predator sweater, so they go get a forward. We talked a little bit about maybe needing to restock their defense core. They did have a bunch of other picks later. Adam Ingram was a forward they drafted at eighty two. I can't even say the Casper guy's last name at at eighty four at eighty four. There you go. They drafted uh, Cole O'Hara. They drafted another defenseman, and and then. 
uh, another forward later on. A lot of those guys, I don't know what you think about the rest of the draft class, but it feels like this is all about Kemmel in the first round being a premium piece that they've added to this this core of Luke Evangelista, Zachary LaRue, Igor Afanasiev, Tomasino's already up. Um, you know, now you go Parson in, in that group as well. So we'll get to what you saw at development camp, but your thoughts on, on Kemmel with the 17th pick, the value and the strategy. Yeah, no, I thought it was, it was a great value. I, I honestly thought the predators were full stop going defensemen because they have no bona fide number one top blue chip defensive prospect. David Ference is probably the close they had to that. And they just let him walk for nothing. Jeremy Davies is probably number two in line and he, they just let him walk for nothing. So it's, it's crazy to think that the Nashville Predators, as, as we have known them, do not have anywhere close to an NHL, I say that, two to three year away from reaching the NHL defenseman. But I, I guess Joe Kim Kemmel, I don't know too much about him, but from everyone I've talked to and I've seen some scouts talking and, and draft analysts and everybody, they, they said that he was the steal of the draft. He was, I think he was the number two ranked European skater by NHL Central Scouting. Um, he was uh, most mock drafts had him in the top 10. Um, they, everyone thinks that he's going to be like a legit goal scorer. And that's, that's what he said. He doesn't, doesn't really speak English very well. So when you ask him about himself, he just basically is like, I can score goals. Um, <laughs> it's what you want. You want a player to be confident in the goal scoring ability. But I think, um, he had what 15 goals and 23 points in 39 games in Liga last year. I think he won the, the rookie of the year award. What's crazy is he started out his first, I think, 16 games and he had 12 goals and he's playing against grown men as, a, as a, I think he was a 17 year old then. And then he got he had an injury. He missed, I think, a month or so and he came back and he wasn't quite the same. And I think that's what hurt his draft stock. I think he got off to such a hot start that they thought this kid is going to be lights out. And then the injury kind of set him back a little bit. And that might be why he fell to the Predators at 17. But from everything I'm reading from, you know, Corey Pronman, Jeff Sabota, Scott Wheeler, elite prospects, Dauber prospects, all these, all these guys, they're saying that he can skate, he's fast, he can shoot the puck, and he can score, and he projects as a top six forward. And that's really what you want out of your first round pick. Did you see that in the first couple of days on the ice at development camp? I did. I, I see that potential. You're there's he's very much he's 18. He's very much still he got the you know the first glimpse right. of the NHL and all that stuff. Um, but you you see the talent as he's as he's out there and he's skating. You can see the quickness, the shiftiness. You could see the the offensive creativity when they're doing individual drills and they're running like just doing scoring drills and net shooting and stuff like that. Um, and I think I think the one thing that stood out to me just in the, in the two days that I saw him is that one, he can carry the puck up ice really well, which is what you want. And like the predators want people that can play really well in the rush. That's just kind of how they, how they train it, how they play uh, primarily. And I think Kemmel's game translates well to that. And his, his main weapon is his shot. He's got an NHL ready shot right now, which we said the same thing about Ellie Tolvin and the results have yet to come with that. But I think, I think Kemmel is going to, they're going to bring him about the right way. He doesn't have the hype that Ellie Tolvanen had coming in. And I think that's ultimately what's kind of derailed him there. But I think Kemmel is someone that he can, he can be, I don't know how to say this. He can be, I don't want to call him like the Messiah, like everyone was calling Ellie Tolvanen, but he can be that. Is that, he got top six potential? 
yeah, he can be that goal scorer without the hype of having to worry about, oh, what is he doing if he had an off game right, and right, right. criticizing the kid? Well, and he's not going to go back to the KHL and score and break every single record the way the way Tolvanen did uh, yeah. at Jokerick or whatever. Um, so Zach LaRue, Luke Evangelista, Igor Afanasiev, and Joe Kim Kemmel. Are those the four forwards that you were watching primarily? Did you see growth from those guys the way you wanted to see them? Do Does one look more ready than the other? I mean, obviously they've got some league stuff they've got to work through and get through the HL. Like there's age stuff that they've all got to deal with, but um, does it feel like they're all on the track the way they need to be? I would say so. Kemmel's still the wild card because we don't really know that much about him. And this is his first development camp and stuff like that. So I would, I would kind of put him on the shelf and worry about him in, in a year or so. Um, but I think all the tools are there for him to have that top six potential. I think the guy that's NHL ready right now is Igor Afanasiev. And he was dangerously close last year. David Boyle, I think it was a week or two into the season. Um, he was doing a radio interview and they asked him how close Afanasiev was to making the roster. And he was like, it was like splitting hairs trying to decide between him and Tomasino. And they ultimately went with Tomasino because they thought he could reach his potential quicker. Afanasiev, the kid's 6'3 and he's 200 pounds. Like he's a load. He If he parks himself in front of the net, good luck trying to move him off. Think of, Patrick Hornquist, but with like probably three or four inches. Right. That, that's the, the kind of net front presence that he brings. Um, he just, he parks himself in front of the net. He takes away the goalie's ability to see the puck. He's very effective on the rush. He's, he's, he's not like a, an edgy player, but he's, he can be physical if he needs to. And I think he's someone that if you're looking at a cheap route to fill that fourth line winger spot, he would be great. And Mike, Michael sure. McCarron with skill. Yeah, basically. Well, Michael McCarron was like six seven, but I I, you, I know, but yeah, you get, my, you get my point, right? Go stand in front of the net, mess up yeah. people's mess and, up and people's he lives. Would be the, he would be the perfect compliment because right now you're looking at the fourth line is probably going to be centered by Cody Glass and Ellie Tolvanen is probably going to be the other winger. So if you put off an Asiev on that line, you have youth, you have skill, you have goal scoring, you have physicality, you have size. That like that would be a perfect fourth line for them this year, I would think. Zachary Zachary Larue, he looked pretty good as well it's kind of hard to judge someone when they get drafted and they're immediately compared to Brad Marchand. Like you, you kind of expect him to be like a jerk and he, he admits <laughs> he's like, I, I kind of am, but you know what? That's what works for me. Um, he looks like he could be that physical guy. He even said, look, I'm not changing who I am. The predators drafted me to get under everyone's skin. And that's what I do best. He, he, he's old, that. that's, that's what I was looking for from him. And then Luke Evangelista got the potential this guy has just from watching him two days and I don't like I tweeted this out yesterday so I don't want to get ahead of myself but he looks like the real deal and I tweeted out a video of him they're just doing simulated scoring drills and stuff but his wrist shot is so deadly he's got this curl and drag motion that's very deceptive um I, I just feel like he's someone that can put it all together very quickly I wouldn't rule out seeing him with the Predators maybe at the end of the season but okay. I think we're looking at someone next year who could definitely challenge for the opening right opening night roster. Well, and, and uh, they, they, like they've got, they, they just, the, the, the forward depth is starting to look a little bit better in the farm system and yeah. you start to see, you know, four or five guys that are in there and you're starting to see it. And, and that doesn't include, again, like that doesn't include Cody glass. Who's probably transitioning this year. Um, I, I, when I talked to Carl Taylor a couple of weeks ago on the episode, I recommend going to listen to it. Cause he talked about all these guys. Um, but Jimmy Huntington is a guy that I think, you know, I think he said was the closest thing to the next Tanner, Janot. So I think Huntington's got a chance to be a part of this team. 
But Evangelista's numbers, like he, like you talk about having a good shot, like he backs it up with like a thousand points. <laughs> like yeah. he scored, he scored a boatload of goals in whatever layer, whatever level he plays in, he's there and he's scoring. So and well, that what came about out of nowhere almost too, because he, his two years in the OHL before he was drafted, he had like, I think he never had more than like 23 goals in a season. Yeah. What do you have like 55 last year? Yeah. 55 goals and 111 points. It's crazy. Uh, all right. What other names did you see? Luke Prokop. I don't know if, if he stood out. Any defensemen? And then Yusuf Parsonen was getting some run on the social. So what, what's up with him? Yeah. Yusuf Parsonen, I think, is someone who I would not rule out seeing him in Nashville this year either. He He's someone who he, he does everything. He's very coachable. He does everything the, the right way. Um, someone, I forgot who I was talking to, but someone described him to me as Mika Salamaki's demeanor, but with Craig Smith's skill set, and I think they meant it as a compliment. I think it's. I think it's. I meant- think that's a compliment. Yeah, if you're if you're that size, you have that kind of size and speed and shooting skill. Yeah, but with Miko's ability to go out and Mika's ability to go out and just ruffle some feathers, you know. Yeah, I think it was meant as a compliment because I think what they were trying to say was he can be physical and kind of be hard to move off the puck, but he can also go out and put up twenty goals, which. If you're the Predators right now, you're you're looking for 20, 25 goal scorers, and I think he, they might have one. And he's someone who kind of, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but he wasn't really highly regarded last year. And I was reading the Athletics prospect rankings, and I think Scott Wheeler said something about he's someone who could ascend very quickly. And he went from little-known prospect to probably one of the standouts of development camp through two days. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the NHL this year as well. No one really stood out among the defensemen. I mean, Luke Prokop, obviously, because <laughs> – not good news. <laughs> yeah. Um, because everyone wants to talk about him and he has a very fascinating story and just kind of hearing, it was good to hear about how his life kind of changed since, since coming out. And, um, and, the, and the new owner of the team has some different ideas. <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was good to hear about that. And he, he looks solid. He's, he's what surprised me is he looks a lot bigger on the ice than I actually thought he would. Um, and we know the Predators love their big defensemen. So that's something that you watch in a couple of years. He, his size could get him a spot in Nashville down the road. I, I um, last year, I noticed that last year in training camp when I was out there at practice, like he's a big dude, man. Like, yeah. And I know Joachim Kondalik, he's listed at like six, six, but he looks like he's seven foot on when he's on skates. Like, I think that's the thing that surprises me with development camp every year is seeing how big these prospects look. And they're like 18, 19 year old kids and they're towering over everybody that's there. And it's crazy. Um, but in terms of defensemen, the only other person that I, I would say really kind of stood out, well, Spencer Stastny stood out a little bit. Um, he was from Notre Dame. Uh, he he looked really quick and very fluid with skating. Um, but Ryan, I don't, Ufko, Ufko, I don't know how you say his last name, but uh, he had a solid year last year. Um, he, what, 31 points in 37 games. He His team with UMass, they won the Hockey East Championship. He was a Hockey East All-Rookie Selection, Hockey East All-Star Honorable Mention. He has the, the college pedigree now. Um, he got invited to the USA Hockey Junior Evaluation Camp. Um, so I think he's he's probably, if there's any defense, defensive prospects that could separate themselves, I'm looking at Ryan okay. enough because I think he, he looked good skating. He looks pretty good, you know, could be an offensive guy if he needs to, but he looks like a very solid prospect. Okay. All right. There, there you have it. All right. Well, let's talk, uh, a scare off. Um, you did a big story about this and I mean, there's a moment there where he's literally in the same gym as, as somebody else who gets basically put into military prison in Russia and was concerned about his ability to get back to the United States. Did you get a sense that he was pretty relieved to be here in the United States and 
And what have we seen from the, the big fella? Because again, when we talked to Carl Taylor a couple of weeks ago, I said, what was your first impressions of him? And he comes out in his pads and you, and you go, and I think Carl Taylor's quote was like, whoa, now that's a goalie right there. So like, <laughs> I guess it's pretty obvious when you see him, but I'm, I'm really more interested in his journey and his mindset because there's probably a lot of Russian players that are very torn between what's going on with their country and what they have to worry about with their own lives. And I think that that's a really fascinating sort of, crazy place to be because of the war in Ukraine and how Russia is handling their own citizens. And like, it's just, it seems nuts to me for a kid of his age to have to deal with this professionally. It's just nuts to me. Yeah. And I, I don't speak Russian, but I could tell from, cause he had to have Igor Afanasyev translate for him. Um, but I could tell just in what he was saying that like, he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to relive it. He doesn't want right. to, he kind of wants to act like it didn't happen and move on. And, and when he, when Afanasia was translating for him, he even said that he was like, he really doesn't want to talk about last season. He's turned the page. He's excited for this season. And that was the end of it. And that was kind of, and I get it. He's, I mean, we're, we're watching this unfold on social media and he's, there's a video of him. Someone tweeted out of him practicing at the same facility where the, the flyers prospect was at Fedotov got detained at. And that happened. I don't know if it was within hours or if it was the day before or whatever. God, that's nuts. You're looking, you're looking at these kids and I think Fedotov got detained because they said he was trying to evade his military service. And it's like the kid's 18. He's a prospect for the NHL. I don't think he's trying to evade anything. I think he's just trying to make a career for himself. Right. And then it came out. Um, I think yeah. TSN said during the draft that uh, Askarov was going to be back and there was nothing to worry about. He fulfilled his military service and stuff. But he he literally got into Nashville Sunday, was on the ice Monday skating and stuff. And yeah, he's six four. He's obviously not as big as Pecorine, but he's bigger than Saros. Um, he's just he's a big kid, and we filmed, uh, we recorded uh, "It's All Your Fault" earlier. We had Chris Mason on, and we asked Chris Mason about Askarov, particularly because you know get a get a former goalie for the team. You want to get their their thoughts on the team's top prospect, and he just had nothing but good things to say about him. Raved about his potential and stuff. And I think the thing that that I kind of saw out of him was he's very coachable. And that, that's what kind of drew my attention. We were watching the drills yesterday. He's standing there. And I think it was Ben Vanderklok that was uh, showing him something. And Askarov's eyes were laser focused on Ben Vanderklok. And I've, I've seen other goalie prospects. They're getting coaching from random coaches on the ice. And they're looking in the stands. They're watching the forwards. They're not really kind of present to what's going on. Yeah. Um, and I think he's just, I hate the term student of the game. But to be cliche, he's, he's a student in the game. I think he's he's here to soak up everything he can. And Ben Vanderklok is one of the best goalie coaches in the right. NHL. If right. you're going to listen to someone, listen to him. <laughs> person probably put above him is Mitch Korn. Um, yeah. But I think that was something that really stood out was he's here. He's soaking it all in. Um, and, and you look at it, too. Last year, he played, I think it was 16 games total. And David Poyle said that he was being punished by SKA St. Petersburg because they knew he was leaving for the NHL at some point. Right. They sent him down to their minor league team, basically. This, this kid hasn't really played a competitive game since January 13th. The good thing is, though, he came over at the end of the season, the end of the KHL season. He was with Milwaukee for their Calder Cup playoff run. He didn't play at any games, but he got to experience. And I wrote this in my story. He got to, he got to jump from one playoff run to another. So while he wasn't playing, he got that experience of the KHL playoffs and then the AHL playoffs and stuff. And I think he this yeah. year, he and Devin Cooley should probably be probably be close to a 50-50 split, I would guess. But they're they're setting him up for success, I think, the right way. Well, and what's really interesting about the Russian players traditionally, it doesn't necessarily apply to this one individual player, but traditionally they're a little bit more closed off culturally 
they don't they don't really assimilate as much as a society into the American culture the way you know maybe the Finnish players do or the Swedish players do or or the Canadian players certainly can do very easily. That Russian players traditionally like don't try to learn the language. They don't try to kind of run in American circles. They kind of try to stick to themselves. And again, that's that's just a broad generalization, but it it does feel like that that maybe Askarov has a slightly different view of how he's trying to approach this potentially. And I think that will be good for everybody involved, him and and the the club. So it should be interesting to watch. Good story by you. Go check it out. I just think it's try to put yourself in his shoes. Yeah. At his at his age with that situation, and it's just it, it's absolutely batshit crazy. So and I mean, he even said, I don't know what the direct translation was. Again, Afanasyev was translating for him, but he said, I was very nervous, but thank God I got out of Russia. And <laughs> like that's not think of being that's a 19-year-old kid and worrying about possibly being captured by your government's military oh. and being detained and forced to go to a military camp, basically. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's it's crazy to think of how bad the situation could have been for him. And I think he and the Predators are both relieved that he's over here. I don't think he's ever leaving North America as long as anything's going on with <laughs> Russia and Ukraine and everything. So I don't think anyone has to worry about that, but I, yeah. I think he's here to stay. And, and I will refrain from making uh, media jokes and locking up media in this country. I'll just, I'll just refrain from making all those jokes. Um, oh, all right, yeah. last question here for you. And I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but I just want to know okay. what, like, how the hell can the national predators take advantage of what Chicago is doing? Short answer, go sign Dylan Strom to be your top six forward. <laughs> I mean, he's, they're, they're just, he's got potential, I think, but yeah, I mean, they're quitting, they're quitting hockey, right? Like, is there they're, they're taking so hard for Connor Bedard? And I tweeted out, like, I really hope that he takes a stance and like, aside from being the first overall draft pick and, and like, I, and maybe I'm, I'm not a professional athlete, so maybe this is just me. I would have a really hard time just morally being excited to go play for an organization like the, the Chicago Blackhawks, given what just happened and what happened to Kyle Beach and how they swept it under the rug for the sake of winning a Stanley Cup. So if I'm Connor Bedard and I know the Blackhawks are tanking for me and I don't want to play for them, I would let it be known I will never play for your organization. But that's, that's clearly what they're doing. It's crazy to think that, was it Dylan Strom or Ryan Strom? One of, I don't know, I get them confused. Dylan Strom. And Dominic Kubelik, they're both, one's 25, one's 26. Kubelik was a 30-goal scorer, but two years ago, Strom had 22 goals. Last. Like, these guys were playing in Chicago's top six for the last year or two, and they weren't even qualified. And their qualifying offers were like $3.5 million and $4 million. Like, you blatantly tanking for Connor, for Connor Bedard. Like, I, I don't know. But Nashville, I don't really think they have to do anything to take advantage of it other than just sit back and laugh at Chicago as they lose games. Like, <laughs> this is what Predators fans, this is their Christmas. They have waited for Chicago to be so bad. And, of course, Blackhawk fans will come back with a rebuttal of how many cups have you won because that's well, all they and, have. And, and, it's, and, and it's because they were so bad that they have those cups. So, like, let's be careful. Exactly, you know, yeah. Let's be careful here. I, it's why think, Colorado. It's why Colorado just won the cup. So Yeah. But I think Nashville, I think Predators fans should just honestly sit back and just bask in the glory that's going to be Chicago's misery for the next two to three yeah. years. And they're going to be good again. They're, they've gotten a taste of winning. They're not going to go back to being, you know, a bottom feeder in the league. So I think just enjoy it. Just enjoy that call, that Chicago is going to be bad for three or four years and just enjoy it while, while it lasts. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, enjoy. Hopefully, get those ten points, those five wins, and call it a day, and continue their dominance over the Blackhawks the way they have the last three or four seasons, where they just yeah. absolutely obliterated them in the regular season. So, what they need to do is not let Chicago turn into the new Arizona. No matter how bad right. Arizona is, they always give the Predators fits. Do not let. Yeah, it's true. I'm the new Arizona in that regard. That is true. Damn Arizona, man. That's such a weird, weird team, man. Knocking them, knocking them down a spot in the rank in the in the playoff seating at the very last minute. Literally in the very last minute. Uh, so, all right. Uh, go check out the post. Go check out the scene. It's all your fault as well. Make sure you swing by Jasper's on West End, our wonderful and amazing title sponsor. We love them. If you take a, a photo of some pictures of some food, photo of a picture. If you take some pictures of some food, make sure you tag Jasper's in it, ask, at Jasper's on Twitter there. Jasper's Nash, I think, is their, their Twitter handle. Of course, you can get to Michael at MG Sports underscore. You can get to me at Braden Gall at 440 Sports. Check out the YouTube page as well. We really appreciate all your support. Please share the product. News coming. We are taking next week off because I just need a break. Uh, but, Michael, thank you so much for hanging out with us uh, for the last couple of weeks. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. So thanks for hanging out, dude. We appreciate, appreciate it. it. Absolutely. For Michael and Braden, thanks for listening. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.